Hello, everyone, and welcome to the May 18th edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Fols, an attorney with Floyd, Skarin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. A temporary employment agency's constitutional challenge to SB 863 temp agency insurance requirement was rejected by the Court of Appeals. Here's what happened in the published case of Kimco Staffing Services versus the state of California. SB 863 added Labor Code Section 3701.9 in 2012. This new law required temporary service employers and leasing employers from self-insuring their workers' compensation liability. These entities that were self-insured had to become insured by January 1, 2015. The new law addressed concern that a self-insured staffing company may grow rapidly during a calendar year without triggering an increase in its self-insured deposit. This is not like a typical employer with workers' compensation insurance, which requires an increased premium on newly hired employees as soon as they are hired. When a self-insured employer's security deposit is insufficient, the obligation for the loss falls on the self-insurer's security fund. Other self-insured employers may then be charged a pro-rata share of the funding necessary to meet the obligations of an insolvent self-insurer. This risk encouraged the legislature to require temporary agencies to buy insurance rather than continue self-insured plans. The company Kimco provides staffing solutions to various industries with an internal staff in California of 137 employees, but an average weekly workforce of more than 4,500 employees. The company filed suit in 2013 against the state of California seeking to have Labor Code Section 3701.9 declared unconstitutional under the state and federal constitutions. The complaint argues that restriction on Kimco's right to self-insure is invalid because it singles out temporary agencies violating their constitutional right to equal protection of the law. The court's initial inquiry is twofold. It first must determine whether the state has adopted a classification that affects two or more similarly situated groups in an unequal manner. This was equal easy to show in the Kimco case. But if there is a rational basis for the unequal treatment, the law satisfies constitutional mandates. The state pointed out a complaint filed in 2011 by the fund against Mainstay Business Solutions in the Sacramento Superior Court as an illustration of the rationale basis for Labor Code Section 3701.9. In that action, the fund alleged that Mainstay was self-insured and assumed the role of a paper employer for payroll and workers' compensation purposes. The scheme enabled Mainstay's customers to avoid their statutory obligation to purchase workers' compensation insurance for their employees. Mainstay is now insolvent, and the fund was forced to assume the workers' compensation liabilities of about 700 injured California employees whose employers had contracted with Mainstay. Thus, the state argued a rational basis exists for Labor Code Section 3701.9's 
differentiating between worksite employers who manage their own workforce and those employers who are only nominal employers providing payroll services. The trial court held the labor code to be constitutional and dismissed the complaint. The Court of Appeal affirmed in the published case of Kimco Staffing Services versus the State of California. The potential for a rapid increase in the number of employees coupled with the delay in adjusting the amount of the self-insurance security deposit is a rational basis for excluding temporary employers from the workers' compensation self-insurance program. A federal judge has dismissed a closely watched lawsuit filed against drug makers. The city of Chicago accused the makers of high-powered painkillers of deceptive marketing, saying they overstated the benefits of their opioid medications and downplayed the risks of addiction and overdose. Five companies were initially named as plaintiffs in the suit, Purdue Pharma, Teva, Johnson & Johnson, Activists, and Endo International. The city claimed in the 122-page complaint that the drug makers misled physicians about the benefits and risks of prescription opioid painkillers, leading to a wave of addiction issues. The city alleged that the deceptive marketing practices have caused health problems in Chicago, claiming that opioid misuse resulted in over a thousand emergency room visits in 2009. It claims that the city's health insurance plan has reimbursed claims for approximately $9.5 million on these drugs since 2008. The city seeks to end descriptive, uh, deceptive marketing practices and seeks punitive damages. The complaint argues that the five companies created a huge $8 billion market for these drugs by telling doctors incorrectly that they were effective for chronic pain management. Chicago's lawsuit has implications far beyond the city limits. If the allegations are true, they get at the one root cause of the growing rates of addiction and death from opioid painkillers and heroin addiction in the United States. The implications would no doubt have an effect on workers' compensation claim costs, but All of the defendants, with the exception of Purdue, were dismissed from the lawsuit this month. Purdue Pharma, which makes perhaps the most notorious of the opioid pills, OxyContin, will have to fight some of the city's accusations under the ruling. However, Chicago has the opportunity to file an amended suit in the next 30 days. The movement against opioid use and against drug makers has continued to grow with advocacy groups such as Physicians for Responsible Opioid Prescribing calling for tighter restrictions on opioid use. In 2007, Purdue and several top-level company executives pleaded guilty to a federal charge of misbranding OxyContin, resulting in a fine of over $634 million. And now our fraud report. The United States government has joined a whistleblower action pending in the Northern District of California against the owners and operators of Bay Sleep Clinic and their related businesses. The action alleges that 57-year-old Anshuvarian Mast 
the power, and 56-year-old Tara Nader frequently billed the Medicare program for diagnostic sleep tests. Most of Power and Nader owned Qualicom Corporation, which operates 16 sleep clinics doing business as Bay Slip Sleep Clinic. They also own Amerimed Corporation, which distributes Duramel medical equipment under the name Amerimed Sleep Diagnostics. The defendants are alleged to have billed Medicare for tests that were conducted at unapproved locations and performed by technicians lacking the licenses or certifications required by Medicare payment rules and regulations. The lawsuit alleges that Mostafpur represented that he was acting as supervisor and clocked in for working as a sleep technologist when he in fact was never present. Other non-certified and non-registered sleep technicians and technologists were directed to not clock in for work in order to conceal who was working. Authorities also claim that Mustaf Power created a MedUSA software program and used the program to control what information was submitted to its billing company. These violations of federal regulations allegedly extended to the provision of services to Medicare patients referred by third persons, including Kaiser Permanente Medical Group. The suit also alleges that the defendants delivered checks to physicians identified as consultation services, which were simply a flat fee payment per sleep study regardless of whether there was any actual consultation and regardless of whether the physician had expertise in reading sleep studies. The Santa Cruz County District Attorney's Office, in partnership with investigators from the California Contractor State License Board and detectives from the California Department of Insurance, conducted an undercover sting operation in Santa Cruz. Investigators posed as homeowners looking for exterior and interior construction, repair, and landscaping work on a residence. Subjects were previously identified by investigators for advertising as a licensed contractor or failing to properly identify themselves as unlicensed contractors. Those subjects were contacted and asked to provide an estimate. If the estimate exceeded the lawful amount mandated by law, they were detained and given a citation. Also, any subject who reported having any employees and did not have proper workers' compensation insurance was also cited. Over the course of the two-day investigation, a total of 18 subjects were contacted. Nine were cited for contractor license violations and workers' compensation violations. An additional five were cited for various contractor state license board violations, including contracting without a license, fraudulent use of a contractor's license, and improper advertising. All of the citations were for misdemeanors, and the subjects were released at the scene. This enforcement action was conducted as part of an ongoing effort by the District Attorney's Office and the State of California to maintain a safe and lawful construction industry in Santa Cruz County. And in regulatory news, the California legislature takes aim at permanent disability apportionment rules again. 
The California Assembly has approved a bill that would drastically change apportionment law so that medical problems, primarily effective women, no longer will be considered pre-existing conditions. The author of the bill claims women often receive less pay than men for suffering the same injury because the apportionment law allows apportionment for pregnancy, breast cancer, menopause, and osteoporosis. Assemblywoman Lorena Gonzalez says existing law discriminates against women in the workplace and puts California at odds with federal law. Lawmakers who represent Lawyers who represent injured workers report that they have cases where women have had the conditions cited in the bill used as a reason to reduce permanent disability benefits. However, the legislative analyst points out that there are at least three policy rationales underpinning the current apportionment rule. This is not the first attempt legislature have made to modify apportionment rules. In 2008, SB 1115, and in 2011, AB 1155 addressed the apportionment discrimination issue in virtually the same language. Each was vetoed by the governor. The state assembly approved the new AB 305 on a 57 to 18 vote, sending it to the Senate. Three years ago, the legislature enacted and Governor Jerry Brown signed SB 863, a significant overhaul of California's multi-billion dollar system of compensating workers for job-related injuries and illnesses. It followed a well-established pattern in workers' compensation politics. About once a decade, the complex system undergoes revision, usually when several of the five major stakeholders groups makes a private deal that takes something away from the others. In 2012, employers and labor unions, with the friendly neutrality of insurers, ganged up on lawyers who specialized in disability cases and on providers of medical care and rehabilitation. SB 863's major provisions tightened up standards for medical and rehabilitation services to save money and increase cash benefits for disabled workers. By all accounts, it worked, at least from the standpoint of supporters. The Workers' Compensation Research Institute reported recently that the average medical payment per claim declined by 5% in 2013 after several years of increases. Meanwhile, the California Workers' Compensation Insurance Rating Bureau recommended and Insurance Commissioner Dave Jones approved a 5% rate reduction. Not surprisingly, those on the losing side three years ago want changes without waiting the traditional decade for another work comp revision. That attitude is expressed in Senate Bill 563, carried by Senator Richard Pan, a Sacramento Democrat who is also a physician. It would partially undo the 2012 legislation by softening utilization review of medical treatments aimed at approving only those deemed to be medically necessary. The bill would exempt a request for medical treatment by a physician from these requirements if the request meets certain specified conditions. One of the conditions exempts treatment 
where a final award of permanent disability specifies the provision of future medical care and that the request for medical treatment is for the medical care that is specified by the award. Recently, UR has come under some scrutiny by stakeholders, many of whom argue that it is leading to a significant number of injured workers being denied care. But the Senate bill analysis says that this claim is not currently supported by the data. A recent study by the CWCI found that only 25% of medical treatment requests go through UR, with approximately 75% of the medical treatment requests approved. Once the approvals from UR and IMR are included, more than 94% of treatment is approved. Despite this finding, sponsors of SB 563 contend that without changes, the current system denies injured workers badly needed treatment. The bill zipped through the Senate Labor Committee with all four Democrats voting for it, three of whom had voted for the 2012 overhaul. Their change of heart might have something to do with the bill's supporters, who include, as one would expect, medical providers and lawyers, but also, oddly, the California Labor Federation, a sponsor of the 2012 SB 863. Another supporter, the California Medical Association, argues that California's workers' compensation system is facing significant challenges and CMA is concerned that IMR may incentivize and allow the denial of necessary patient care. CMA also cites a recent ProPublica article on workers' compensation as possible evidence that necessary home health care is being denied to injured workers. Whatever the reasons for the labor's flip, the California Chamber of Commerce has tagged SB 563 as a job killer, saying it undermines the entire medical treatment review process. Barrett Business Services, the Vancouver, Washington-based supplier of staffing and outsourced human resource services, is under investigation by the SEC in a case involving the company's workers' compensation reserves. The company is cooperating fully with the SEC staff in providing the requested information. During the company's first quarter earnings conference, officials said the company continued to maintain a proactive positive position related to workers' compensation expense. The context of workers' compensation costs was an earlier announcement of an $80 million increase in reserves for payments of drawn-out workers' compensation claims. In the aftermath of that announcement, the company was hit with a shareholder class-action lawsuit alleging a violation of federal securities laws. The suit arose after the company's stock price plummeted on the heels of its announcement of an increased workers' compensation reserve. The company said it will defend itself against the litigation and that it believes the claims are covered under its director's and officer's liability insurance. Barrett has clients with employees in 22 states and the District of Columbia through a network of 54 branch locations, including California. 
Pursuant to SB 863 and Labor Code Section 3701.9, effective January 1, 2015, the company no longer maintains a certificate to self-insure in California and now maintains individual policies with ACE Group for all California-based clients. The arrangement, typically known as a fronted program, provides BBSI, a licensed admitted insurance carrier in California, to issue policies on behalf of BBSI without the intention of transferring any of the workers' compensation risk for the first $5 million per claim. The risk of loss up to the first $5 million per claim is retained by BBSI through an indemnity agreement. However, ACE assumes credit risk should BBSI be unable to satisfy its indemnification obligations to ACE. ACE also bears the economic burden for all costs in excess of $5 million per claim. Insurance Commissioner Dave Jones adopted a revised advisory pure premium rate lowering the benchmark to $2.46 per $100 of payroll for workers' compensation insurance effective July 1. In doing so, he adopted the recommendation of the WCIRB. Jones issued the mid-year advisory pure premium rate one week after a public hearing and careful review of the testimony and evidence submitted. Their reductions appeared to be the result of SB 863. The WCIRB noted that not all of the projected cost reductions have materialized. The WCIRB's pure premium advisory rate filing demonstrated that workers' comp insurers continue to charge premiums that are close to the estimated costs of providing benefits and adjusting expenses. The rates actually charged to employers, however, are on average lower than the rates filed by insurers. Workers' compensation insurance rates are not set by the Department of Insurance. Under California law, workers' compensation insurers set their own rates. The WCIRB will evaluate workers' compensation insurance costs again in the fall of this year. The purpose of the pure premium benchmark rate process is to review costs in the workers' compensation insurance system and to confirm that rates filed by insurance companies are adequate to cover benefits for injured workers. The mid-year pure premium rate benchmark is a 10.2% reduction in the current benchmark. And in financial news, the workers' compensation industry has had, as a whole, a pretty good 2014. The combined ratio improved for the third consecutive year and premium grew for the fourth consecutive year and claim frequency declined about 2%. But the results for 2014 were not enough to relax officials at the National Council on Compensation Insurance, the official rating and statistical organization for more than 30 states. NCCI released its annual state-of-the-line workers' compensation market analysis in which the group describes the current state of the industry as calm now but turbulence ahead. The workers' compensation calendar year combined ratio for private carriers was 98 in 2014, a four-point decrease from 2013, and a 17-point decline since 2011. 
Total market net written premium increased by approximately 6% to $44.2 billion, driven primarily by an increase in payroll. And that follows solid results in 2013. But the NCCI president and CEO said it would be great if these results marked the beginnings of a new trend line. But workers' compensation is a business that runs in cycles. And despite the current calm conditions, the NCCI is anticipating turbulence ahead. Indemnity and medical severity increases have begun to outpace increases in the average weekly wage and medical consumer price index. Low interest rates continue to make investing a challenge, and employment in some sectors of the economy, particularly construction and manufacturing, remains well below pre-recession levels. And in medical news, the number of young adults admitted to California hospital emergency rooms with heroin poisoning increased six-fold over the past decade. Heroin abuse has been on the rise across the United States, in part because it has become easier to obtain than prescription opiates like OxyContin. About 1,300 young adults between the ages of 20 and 29 were seen in emergency rooms in California with heroin poisoning in 2014, more than six times the roughly 200 seen in 2005. Emergency room visits for adults ages 30 to 39 doubled during the same period from about 300 to 600. Teens also were seen in higher numbers with 367 treated in 2014 compared to about 250 in 2005. Heroin poisoning is most commonly caused by overdose but can also include instances in which the user has been poisoned by a substance used to cut the drug or other adverse effects. A recent report from the CDC showed that deaths from heroin overdoses nearly tripled from 2010 to 2013 in the United States. This is because powerful prescription painkillers have become pricier and harder to use. So addicts across the USA are turning to heroin instead of the uh, prescription drugs with a new twist. Heroin is no longer just an inner-city plague. It has become so easy to get that dealers deliver to the suburbs and run specials to attract their young professional upper-income customers. Lawyers, nurses, cops, and ministers are showing up and the detox ward at medical centers, desperate to kick an opiate addiction that often starts with powerful prescription painkillers such as Oxycontin and Vicodin. Statistically, it is likely that this phenomena exists in the world of workers' compensation claimants, at least to some degree. That is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, for past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, iPod, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm Renee Folston, an attorney with Floyd, Skern, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today, and please drop by again next week for more news.